Welcome to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. Jackie Ressler, a divorce financial planner with almost 25 years experience, and myself, Melissa Fradenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. We are both certified divorce financial analysts and your co-hosts. If you're thinking about divorce or in the process of divorce, this is a time for you to take a deep breath and give yourself permission to gain clarity on the financial decision they're facing. While the term wealth typically refers to money and possessions, we know that truly being wealthy means a whole lot more. Together with our guests on this podcast, we will help you live wealthy after divorce. Welcome to Wealthy After Divorce, where we focus on ways to increase your wealth after your divorce, which really, for a lot of people, need to, we need to focus on that during the divorce which, in order for us to get to that point. So today, I'm really excited to welcome my guest, Carrie Goldring, who is a certified divorced lending professional, a CDLP with Union Home Mortgage. And we are going to talk today about one of the most important assets in any divorce case. I've been a divorce financial advisor for about 25 years, and I can't think of a case that has clients have come to me and they didn't have issues with the, mor- the mortgage and the home. Most couples, the largest asset that they have is the marital home. And sometimes unwinding the mor- mortgage after the divorce is done is a little bit like putting the toothpaste back in the tube where if they had done appropriate planning beforehand with someone like Carrie, it would have been smooth sailing. So we're going to get the inside scoop today. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me, Jackie. I think that your information is, and I have had so many cases lately that it's going to put an, an exclamation point for me why it's so important for me to refer clients to a mortgage specialist that understands the ins and outs of divorce. Can you tell me a little bit about your designation and what kind of training you have and what separates someone with that CDLP designation from other mortgage brokers? Yes. So I'm a licensed mortgage professional. And then I have an additional certification, which is through the Divorce Lending Association where I have gone through training and have passed an exam and continue with continuing education and coaching on how to help people pre and post divorce in terms of what's needed for getting approved for a mortgage, either a refinance or a purchase. Okay. So I have clients that say to me, Hey, like, what do you really need that? Can I just go to anybody? What really makes the difference? And I was telling you, as we were chatting a little bit before, I had a case that closed pretty recently with a client and she didn't use anyone that was specialized in the divorce arena. Didn't think she had to. And we had a huge problem at her closing. And again, I was not able to figure out exactly what the problem is because I don't know very much about mortgages. I know a lot about financial issues related to divorce, but I do not, I'm not a mortgage specialist. And she said that the closing paperwork didn't come out right. They were going to pay off a certain amount of debts, which again is common with the refi, pay off debts, pay her husband out his interest so that he could go and get his own home. And she said all the numbers were wrong, who the money was going to was wrong. And she was pretty upset. So in that kind of a situation, can you tell me what would be different 
if someone was using a specialist like you versus someone that doesn't know anything really about divorce? Yeah. So there's a lot of different types of mortgage loans and a lot of different underwriting guidelines. And I think having the designation and only working with people going through divorce, I'm a little more in tune to the guidelines, the language, talking to the attorneys, having my procedures in place for handling something like that. So if I didn't have the training, I wouldn't know how to do the equity buyout letter or what's needed for the deed or how all that comes into play, where in my practice, it's just everyday, normal, run-of-the-mill business making sure the numbers are right. And I think also having the language that the attorneys speak right. and understanding the time frames of what everybody goes after and the different types of divorces that are out there. I think I just have a more keen awareness to help people get to their end goal as opposed to just looking at it as a transaction. Right. And that is a big difference. I think that there are so many mortgage lenders that really want to help people that are going through divorce, but they don't know how. And you'd think that they would run across this in their practice, because I'm sure that a lot of people doing refinance and cash out that they're are going through a divorce. But again, this has become a bigger problem that I've seen in my practice. And it, it just kind of continues to get to be a worse problem. What do you find? One, one problem that we come up against quite a lot is that someone, they can't qualify for a mortgage. So as part of their settlement, they're going through the divorce case and they really want to keep the house. The other side says, okay, you can keep the house, but you have to show me that you can get qualified, pre-approved for the money to buy, either to buy me out, or maybe they're going to wait to be bought out for a couple of years, but they want their name off that loan. What kind of options does someone have in that situation if they have not been the, the main breadwinner and they don't have a lot of income history? So when I when I talk to people over the phone, we usually start way before the divorce is final. So we have time for prep and planning. And we do go through what the final outcome is, what they want. Do they want to keep the house in this scenario? And we talk about where the income is coming from or where potential for income can come from or what kind of time frame they need or what kind of assets are there that maybe can turn into income and really put together a plan. And as they start negotiating different parts of the divorce, then we can kind of firm our numbers up and work on changing other numbers. So for example, someone who has stayed home and raised children, a lot of times they don't think they can qualify for a mortgage and that's not necessarily true. Okay. Is there anything that they can do during the divorce process that, that might make it easier? So if they, let's say the parties are cooperative and they are amicable. Is there any way that they can structure things while the divorce is pending to make it easier for that the, um, the lower wage earner to get approved? Very possibly. Everybody's situation, as I'm sure you know, is very different. Sure. I still have never met two families with the same scenario. The couples right. who get along, who can call me together, and I can work on both of their goals at the same time, that helps. There have been cases where I've had people switch cars because one could handle a car payment and the other one couldn't or, you know, do an equity buyout where we're buying someone out of a home. Maybe 
with for extra money to pay debt off. So there's a lot of things that we can do to get creative to help couples out. Okay. And the earlier I talk to people, the better off we are. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I have planning time. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I bet that a lot of people don't do that. I would assume no, that a lot of people here. wait until the end. So yeah, um, there's some people just are very intimidated to talk to a mortgage person or they feel they have nothing settled yet. So they shouldn't call because there's nothing to call because they don't have any numbers. Right. And it's really great if they call anyway, because then we can start talking about what type of numbers they need or they should have or what they're going to be comfortable with or not comfortable with. So when they do start negotiating, they have a better understanding of what it's going to do for them later. So are you able to give attorneys and their clients language that might go in the final judgment that would make it easier to give to get a mortgage? Yep, I do all the time. I do all the time. Either we're coming up with different strategies for how to produce income or how to get rid of debt. Or when we talk about buying someone out of a house, how much money someone can or can't afford to do that. We've talked about different support payments to get someone to qualify for a loan or the timing of doing something prior to divorce or after divorce. So there's a lot of strategies that we can use. So is it possible, and this is what I I think that this is possible, but I'm not sure. (laughs) So is it possible, let's say we have a couple and they're in the process of divorce and they set up an account where a set amount of money goes into from high wage earner to low wage earners account while the divorce is still pending and it goes every month, would that qualify someone as having income or would they need to have a court order in place for temporary support? And I know that there's some rules that go around that, but that I think would be a great tip for people that are thinking about maybe how they can help speed up the process to qualify when the divorce is final. Right. So yeah, there are guidelines different guidelines for what type of mortgage that you're doing. So some want you to have support payments for three months, other for six, and they always must continue for 36 months after mortgage closing. So if you had a temporary support order, meaning that it was court ordered, Mm -hmm. that income does count towards the timing. So it gets that clock ticking. And then as long as someone has their actual support payment, at least one of them for mortgage approval, that works. So if someone has a temporary support order, $500 a month, but then the actual support is $2,000 a month, they only have to receive one payment of that $2,000 as long as they've been receiving some support with the court order prior to. That's huge, Carrie. (laughs) That is... I mean, that is that is a, a really important reason why somebody should bring someone like you in to the case early because There's, so it doesn't have to be the same doubt. So I think that a, a good argument on the other side of that would be, well, maybe we're going to set the temporary support at 1500 a month, but we're going to end up with something more like 3000 a month. You're saying right. it doesn't really matter as long as there's that temporary payment that's clocked in. And yeah, the court order is the the big key that it has to be court ordered. And I believe, though I'm not an attorney, that they might have to be living in two separate homes to get a temporary support order, but I'm not 
100% sure. Okay. Yeah. I don't know about, I'm not sure about that. Either. That is a great conversation point for a client to, to raise with their attorney. And, and there's, and other, those, ways. there's yes. other ways for income too, besides just support. There's, there's ways to do lump sum buyouts or lump sum spousal payments and setting up other ways to receive income from that that we can use. So there's there's definitely other tricks up my sleeve. <laughs> so if someone gets a spousal support buyout, that could count also? As we have to do some stuff. Income. So that we would have to need do to be yep. in the agreement? That would need to be in the agreement? Not necessarily in the agreement because there's many people that I do mortgages for prior to them being divorced. There's just certain things that have to take place prior to them making mortgage application that I need the attorneys to help me draw up some agreements. Okay, I got it. So there's a lot that goes into it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like the sooner that someone gets you involved in the case, the better to um, to try to get ahead of all of these things. I always find that the problem that I run up against as a financial planner working with uh, divorcing clients is that everyone's so focused on parenting time and you know what's going to happen with child support and some of the bigger financial pieces that sometimes these things that that you and I both know are really important that you are very careful on the wording and how it's structured those things get lost they get lost with the pension details they get lost with how we're going to divide up assets after the divorce and who is actually going to handle that? How would you, what do you normally do when, when you're, com- when you come into the process, what would be the way that the best way for you to explain even to the attorney why they need someone like you in early? The attorney, there's a lot of attorneys that, that work with me. So they would understand those that don't, I think, you know, just a conversation educating people because you don't know what you don't know. And I would say for the people going through the process, not to be embarrassed and not to be afraid and to know that, God willing, this is something you only go through once. So no one's expecting you to be an expert. And basically, you've had all your years of your marriage to build on all your assets and setting up your trust and your IRAs and your mortgage and whatever else you did to build your life. And now you go through a divorce and you're expected to tear it all down and rebuild it really quick at one time. And it's a lot. And I think the more people that you have in your corner to help you process and get through it and give their professional opinion to help you, the better off you are. Absolutely. And I think you make a really good point. I I know that many of my clients might even put off refinancing, even though if their judgment says they have to refinance within a certain amount of time, that fear of not knowing what to do, not knowing the steps, feeling like they're insecure, they don't have the confidence, they maybe weren't the one that handled the money issues in the past. I think that that is a really big stumbling block for a lot of people is to have that that fear. I think you're right. I had one lady who had a very low credit score and her attorney said to call me and she goes, why? I can't get a mortgage. Why call her? And the attorney said, call anyway. And she, and she did call and she wasn't able to get a mortgage now, but I was able to put a whole plan together of, okay, first you need to do this. 
when all that's done, then I want you to do this to get her to build up her credit score. And then the attorney built a timeline into her divorce decree not to rush her to get what she needed to get her mortgage. And she called yesterday saying that she felt so confident and so happy and she's already seeing improvements. And she's like, I didn't want to call you. And I was so embarrassed and I didn't think there was anything you can do for me. And she was just so appreciative. And honestly, that makes me happier than anything else I can ever ask for. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's very rewarding to help people that, that really need the help and want the help and can change their life because of it. They, right. um, I know that a lot of my, um, I said a lot of my clients are really worried about credit. You brought up a good, a good point. Is there anything that you would recommend to clients going through a divorce in terms of checking their credit, seeing if there might be things on there that they, that they could handle during the divorce that they possibly can't handle after? I think it's something that I would do with people when they call me, we would always pull a credit report and it's important to look at what you have that's joint debt versus single debt versus being an authorized user on something, paying attention to what your credit score is and are there things that you might need to do to build your credit score up to get a favorable interest rate or certain loan programs require certain credit scores and just working on working on a budget. So yes, one fallacy a lot of people have with credit scores, they think if they pay their bills on time, they're going to get a good credit score. And that's only part of a good credit score. Another easy fix on the credit report is they look at the proportion of what your outstanding balance is versus your credit limit. So if somebody has they're using their credit card all the time and they're running it up to the credit limit and they pay it off every month. They think they're doing great. And in reality, when it gets reported to the credit bureau, all it looks like is you're maxing out your credit every single month and that dings your credit score. So just little things like that, that may not be common sense that I can bring light to. Okay. That's a, that's a good tip. I've had cases settle where we've got debt in let's say the car payments are in husband's name and but wife agrees that she's going to, she's going to take on those payments and nobody considers whether or not that's nice that she agreed to that, but it's still in his name. It's, it's still going to be on his credit report if she doesn't make a payment. We often have, again, kind of uh, conversations with attorneys about informal agreements between the parties and why it's so important that they get a consultation in early on how that could affect someone, especially so much hinges on refinancing the marital home. Um, one other question that I have had come up in cases is whether or not, um, is it possible to put something in the judgment that says that even though, you know, we come across this a lot, I've got one client, she can't refinance right now because she doesn't have enough, she doesn't have enough income, her credit's not, not good. So, they want to give her time, but the husband wants to get his name off the loan so that he can get another mortgage. Is there anything that can go into the judgment that would protect him, that would allow them to go forward? Or is there is that a lost cause? No, there's definitely something that can go in the judgment because anything that is considered court-ordered is the way that it is. So it doesn't change his responsibility directly with the mortgage company because he has an agreement directly with them that he's responsible. So if the payment isn't made or it's made late, it could still affect his credit. 
But if the judgment of divorce says that the wife is 100% responsible for the mortgage payment, including any taxes, insurance, or association dues, when he goes to apply for a mortgage, they should not use that mortgage payment against him as a debt because it was assigned to her in a court order. Wow. That, again, is kind of big news. <laughs> so if somebody pushes against that, are, is that something that your training would allow you to advocate for that, that, let's say, the husband in that case and say, tell the lender or explain to the lender that that's, that shouldn't be held against him? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So some of it is just being able to articulate all these things. I wouldn't expect to say something to a person who's going through the divorce or needing the mortgage to be able to articulate all this properly to a lender who doesn't specialize in divorce or an attorney who obviously doesn't specialize in mortgages. And at least that way I can kind of communicate to everybody and explain to hopefully make things go smoother. And then you also take care of the paperwork, right? So you take care of the, tell me a, a little bit about that. Do clients normally have their attorney do the quick claim deed? And is that more costly? I mean, that's something that, that you do for clients, right? Right. So I don't, I don't charge a fee for consulting anyone or talking to them. If they choose to get their mortgage through me, that's how I get paid. So anything that I can do that the attorney doesn't do, obviously, is less expensive. Bonus. <laughs> so, and I don't draw up any legal agreements, but when someone is buying someone out of a home and they're doing a refinance to buy out equity, there is an agreement that needs to be written between the two parties explaining to the title company what money goes where and to whom. And I prepare that based on what is agreed upon from the attorneys okay. and clients. And then I would also have the title company prepare the quit claim deed and make sure that the proceeds are going into the right bank account and all that. So those are the things that I would prepare. Some attorneys prefer to do it themselves and that's, you know, fine. I can take that. Most of them will just let me do it to save the client's money. So I was like, that was going to be my next question. What happens when you don't do that? Who, who handles that for the clients? I don't know if it ever gets handled a lot of times. I had um, a man that was buying a new house that got divorced and his wife or ex-wife now had to refinance their house to give him money. And she went to a very large mortgage company, assuming they would know what they were doing. And they did a mortgage as what's called a cash out refinance, where they were just going to give her cash. So nowhere on the papers did it show that she paid her husband off for the equity in the home. And then when they asked where to send the money, they had the money that was supposed to go to her go to him, which really was supposed to go to him. They did it properly. So they don't have any paperwork now showing that she actually did what she was supposed to do on her divorce decree. And then no one did wow. an buyout letter. Nobody did a deed. Nobody double-checked after the fact. And then when he came to me to do his mortgage, I had to go backwards and get their paperwork fixed and talk to his attorney. And it turned wow. into a whole, a whole colossal of a, of a mess. 
for the attorney too, right? For, every, for everybody. And if it wasn't me doing his mortgage, I don't know if they ever would have had a deed done or if it would have ever come up until some point in the future when it caused trouble. That sounds pretty scary to me. <laughs> so I think it's pretty scary too. Wow. Are there any other are there any other tips that you would give um, to someone going through the divorce process to ease their mind a little bit if they're unfamiliar with the process that whether you know what to make it to do to make it less scary for them? Talk to professionals who are familiar with what you are going through, whether it's you on the financial end or me on the mortgage end or a mental health professional or an attorney but you are not doing yourself any favors not working with an attorney or having an attorney that specializes in real estate when you're going right. through a divorce or a financial person without the designation because they're not going to catch the little red flags that are going to make the biggest difference at the end. I think you're right. And I think sometimes missing those little things are the things that end up costing people the most money and stress down the road which is the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish with our wealth, Wealthy Ever After podcast here. These paying right. attention to the little things like this, they're not so little. Although yeah. when everything else is spinning around you in chaos and you're going through this trauma of divorce, it's hard to know what things that you should focus on and what things right. you don't it's need hard, to. It's hard to go back later and say, oh, by the way, I need this or God forbid someone passes away or moves out of the country or who knows what. It's just so much easier to get it done up front. Agreed. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to have your contact information in the the podcast notes below this, this recording. And we encourage, I would encourage anybody that's going through a divorce to consult with Carrie or someone like Carrie that has that CDLP designation that can really give you very specific advice to your divorce situation. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. You can find more information on Melissa Fradenberg and Jackie Ressler on our website, www.pearlplan.com, as well as on our podcast website, www.wealthyafterdivorce.com.